is our, our heart's desire. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you. you may be seated this morning. Well, to, normally this is the point where I dismiss kids for kids' crew, but today the kids stay with us. And I'm excited for that because uh, I always enjoy when our kids are with us in worship. And uh, I know for parents that means a little extra for you today. I, I get that too. Uh, I've been there in, in those shoes. Uh, let's be honest. Rayleigh's been there in your shoes. <laughs> I'm normally the one standing here, right? But, uh, but I understand as well. But I, I think it's important for us to have the kids with us and, and be a part of worship. And so we're excited for them to be here today. I want to encourage you to turn your Bibles to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. We're going to finish Romans chapter 1 this morning, looking at verse 18 through the end of chapter 1, verse 32. And along the way, what we're going to see is sin's destructive path, the destructive path that sin will lead us upon if we follow it. It got me thinking about uh, some, some significant paths that I've walked in life. You know, we often use that, that, that idea of a path as a metaphor uh, for, for life and, and, and journeying through life and walking through life. But sometimes we find ourselves on a real, actual path, right? A trail of sorts. This past summer, our family went on vacation to Utah. And when we were in Utah, we went to several national parks in Utah. One of my dreams, I got to check a few items off the bucket list. There were several of these, these national parks in Utah. One of my dreams for years has been to hike the Angels Landing Trail in Zion National Park in Utah. You, maybe you know of this. Maybe you've been on the Angels Landing Trail Maybe you've never heard of it. If you've never heard of this before, I'm going to show you a few pictures in a minute, and I hope that it'll blow your mind because it's incredible. So as you are working your way up what's called the West Rim Trail in Zion, you come to a section of the Angels Landing Trail called Walter's Wiggles. So can we show the first picture that we have up there? All right, so what you see, what you see at the, is a peak, and at the very top of this peak, that's the Angels Landing, Okay. But along the way, you see what looks like a trail that snakes back and forth. That's, that's a section of the trail that's known as Walter's Wiggles. And it's a portion of the trail where you climb a significant uh, height. You ascend a significant height in a relatively short amount of space. And then there's some trees that you see at the top of the wiggles. That's what's called Scout's Landing. And from Scout's Landing on, you, it's hard to tell in this picture. I have another picture that I'll show you in a moment. But from Scout's Landing on, you go up this narrow path along the, the ridge. And it's actually one of two trails that we have in our national parks in the United States that there are signs posted at, at the trailhead that say, uh, Ten people have died on this trail, so proceed at your own risk. And there's a portion of the trail from that section on that they call the chains, from Scouts Landing to the top of Angels Landing. And they call it the chains because literally there's a chain anchored into the side of the mountain, and there's a narrow path. In many places, the path itself is about as narrow as the pulpit in front of me, and, and it's a sheer drop off to the side. So can we show the next picture? This, the next picture that we had loaded up, if we can get to it, was a picture that I took from the top of Scout's Landing. And so what you might, in order to get that to show, you might try clearing the background uh, and, and see, now, now just fire that next cue and see if that works. 
No, of course, it's not going to work. It's not going to play ball with us. Okay, well, take my word for it. It's incredible. When you get to the top of it, it's incredible. And so the picture that I wanted to show you of, of us descending down the, this section known as the Wiggles shows you, gives some, some perspective to the, uh, the height and the amount of, of, of climb or, or descent, depending on if you're coming up or going down, right, that you, that you go. What it's hard to judge in each of those, what they call the Wiggles, each one of those paths, but each section of that is probably somewhere around 25 yards in length and from one section to the next, you ascend or descend by, oh, I don't know, as many as probably 12 to 15 feet, okay? So in that one section, you climb the trail, and then you get to the top of Scout's Landing, you catch your breath, and then you keep climbing to the top of Angel's Landing, if you dare, and the, the view from there is incredible. What a path to go on. I encourage you, if you ever get the chance to go to Zion National Park, it's in southwest Utah, Springdale, Utah, go. And... If you want to climb Angel's Landing, can I encourage you? You better get it in gear because as of April 1st of this year, Angel's Landing will enter into a lottery system. And so in order to climb the trailhead, you have to apply for the lottery and you have to be chosen. And there's a whole, but from now until April the 1st, it's all walk up. You just show up and you climb. Okay, so if you want to go, you can get in the lottery later, or you can get it in gear and get to southwest Utah between now and April 1st, and you can climb Angel's Landing. It's incredible. But we think about a path, right? I, I want you thinking about a path or a trail that you might be on. Because, again, as I said, the, the, the focus of the message today is going to be on sin's destructive path. Now, the Angel's Landing trail is incredible. It's picturesque. It's, I mean, it's just it's, it's the, the opportunity of a lifetime. And yet it can be destructive. If you misstep, if you, in fact, as I told you, there's literally a sign at the trailhead that I took a picture of before we climbed that said, proceed at your own uh, risk. Ten people have died on this trail. And, uh, and so you do that knowing and weighing the risk that are involved. Well, the truth is, I want us to understand from this point, this is the trailhead, so to speak, this morning. I want us to understand from this point on that there is a risk involved when we surrender our lives to sin, when we, when we pursue sin, when we, when we chase after sin, that it will lead us down a destructive path. And so it's important that we understand that and, and that we understand that there is salvation available. Last week, the focus of our message was on salvation that is available through the gospel as we trust in Jesus. And we even saw that everyone, everyone, who turns to Christ may receive his righteousness through faith. You can go back to chapter 1 and look at verse 16 and 17. It's the power of the gospel. But in order to truly understand the full picture of the righteousness of God, we have to understand that God is not only powerful enough to save, but he, he's right, he's just in condemning sin. And that's two sides of the same coin that we, so much of the time we want to focus on the salvation and the grace that are available in Jesus, and, and we should because it's incredible and it's transformative and it's powerful. But in order to understand truly the love of God and the depth of his sacrifice for us, we must also understand the reality of our sin and that apart from faith in Jesus, we are destined for punishment because of our sin. The just punishment, Romans tells us, that we deserve is death. 
is death itself because of our sin. And so it's important that we see both sides. When I was growing up, my pastor would often say to our church, he would say that sin will always take you further than you want to go. It will always keep you longer than you want to stay. And it always has a a price tag that's higher than you will want to pay. And I, I think all of that is true. This morning, we'll see that. Sin will take you further than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, and the price tag is greater than you want to pay. We need to understand the, truly the, the pervasiveness and, and the, the depravity of sin this morning. And so we'll see this destructive path that sin leads us on. Now, in order to do that, there are three points that we'll see that we'll pull out of the text. But let's read first together. Romans chapter 1, beginning in verse 18, and we'll read through the end of verse 32. I'm going to tell you up front that there's a temptation, especially because of just the cultural situation of our day. There's a temptation to really focus on verses 24 through 27. When we get into that, you'll, I think you'll understand naturally why. But I want us to see it in its, in its whole picture this morning, to see that, that, that sin itself is rebellion against God, and God is just in punishing and condemning sin. So let's begin reading together. Romans 1.18, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. Because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the Creator, but rather the creature rather than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. And for this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations with those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. And they were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. So here it is plainly laid out for us, the destructive path of sin, that it would take us down this path, lead us down this path of ruin, this path that ultimately leads to our destruction that leads us to be deserving of the wrath of God. Praise God, we saw last week that there's salvation. 
There's, there's a way off that path. There's, there's a plan that the Lord has provided that through faith in Jesus, the kind, of, the kind of confession of faith even that we saw in Eva's baptism this morning, through confessing Christ as Lord and Savior, surrendering our life to Him, we can be forgiven. We can be transformed. We can be set free from the bondage of sin. Literally, we're, we're taken off of that path, that destructive path of sin because of the work of Christ on our behalf. And we're given a, a new path, what Jesus describes in the Gospels as the narrow way. And yet, We need to understand in order to have the full picture of sin and its destructiveness, in order to truly appreciate the power of Christ over our sin, that we have salvation, we need to understand the the wrath of God, the path of sin. And so I want us to see three parts of this, three parts that this, this, this path of sin is fraught with problems and perversions and pain that we'll see this morning. So the first thing we see is the problem of sin, the problem of sin. Verse 18 through 23 lay out for us the the problem of sin. In this we see that ultimately sin's destination is destruction. Even if you jump ahead to verse 32, look at this particular phrase in verse 32. Those who practice such things deserve to die. That the, the just rewards... As Paul's going to write later in the book of Romans, the wages of sin, what we deserve for our sin is death. Sin leads us down a path of destruction, a path ultimately that culminates in death. And not just a mortal physical death, though yes, that's a part of it, but also spiritual death too. Separation from God. The problem that we see is that everyone is deserving of death. Because we've all sinned against God. As I said, sin leads us down that path. It takes us further than we want to go. Everyone has sinned. And so the, the way that Paul describes this here, he says that we suppress the truth. Right? That's what verse 18 tells us. There's all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. We suppress the truth. We don't believe. We try, to, we try to believe a lie. We try to convince ourselves. I think a word that we might use is justify. We try to justify our behavior, justify our actions, justify the things that we do, trying to say that something is, that is wrong is, is okay. And the point that, that the text is showing us is that sin is, is wrong. In every instance, in every situation, sin, it, and it's worthy of the wrath of of God. And you may say, well, but it was just one sin. You mean even just one sin? The book of James tells us that even if we sinned but once, we would be deserving of the full measure of God's wrath. Now, you know, and I know, that we don't sin just once. We rebel against the Lord. And we find ourselves in this situation. We're headed down a path toward death and destruction. We've suppressed the truth. Not only has everyone sinned, but we see that because of the, everyone has sinned, everyone deserves wrath. We are without excuse, it goes on to say, so that we are without excuse. Now, what, often what, what biblical scholars, what theologians will describe, what you see detailed in verses 19 and 20, is actually a doctrinal term that's known as general revelation, okay? So, there are in, in the broadest sense, there are two types of revelation that we look to. 
There's special revelation. Special revelation, the easiest way to think of special revelation is it's specific. And so the Bible is specific. The Bible points us to know God by faith, by telling us how we can turn from sin and turn to faith in Jesus. So the Bible contains the record of God's special revelation to us. But then there's general revelation. And general revelation is what it's described here in verses 19 and 20. The fact that we see, even in creation itself, that we see a wonder and a majesty and a splendor that cry out that there is a God. That there is a God when we look at the world around us. When we look at, when, when we look at all of creation, for me personally... There's nowhere in, in my own life that I have seen this more clearly. And I've seen some incredible things. I showed you a picture of, uh, of Zion National Park. And I've seen some wonderful, beautiful things in this world. But f- for me, on a personal level, personal level nowhere is, is the, the glory of, of God been more clearly revealed than in the birth of my children. And watching a new life come into this world. And seeing and considering the wonder and awe and thinking to myself, God did this. Psalm tells us in Psalm 139 that in the womb, God knit us together. That that the Lord knew us in, in our unknown form and that he knit us together in the womb. When we look at, when we look at a, a child that has been born and we think, how incredible. Everything about that this past week was a, a significant uh, point because uh, th- this past week in our nation we celebrated sanctity of life. It's a, a key moment that uh, for, for many years now has been recognized. President Reagan actually in the 1980s was the first to sort of officially establish a sanctity of life Sunday and uh, coming up in, in the near days, there will, yesterday there was a march for life at the Capitol in Oklahoma City. Coming up in, uh, in, in a few days will be uh, Rose Day, the annual Rose Day. And all of these things mark for us the, uh, the, the I'll call it the cause, really the, the strong desire to end abortion. Because we think, man, that unborn life is life. It's not just a fetus. It's not just a thing. It's not just organic matter. It's, that's life that God is growing, that, that the Lord has formed together. And, and, and what an, an incredible thing. When we look at, when we look at, at, at life, and the, I, I just can't help but think of all the wonderfully intricate parts of our bodies. Nothing to me says there is a creator, there is a God more than than life, human life. The problem of sin is we try to suppress the truth. We try to rebel against God. We try to convince ourselves of something else. And ultimately, what we find is that leads us down this path of destruction. That we exchange the truth for a lie. He goes on to say we're without excuse. Look at what he says in verse 23. We exchange the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Literally, he's talking about idolatry. That we make idols of things that were created rather than worshiping the one who created them. That we would be more content to look at things in this world and say, you are my God. Now, we may think that we don't do, that we don't 
have idolatry the way that we may think of the ancients, right? So you think of the ancients, ancient culture, and, and you, you think, oh yeah, well they bowed down to like a, a golden image of a god or a statue. Well, we don't do that. And we go home and we prop up our feet and we turn on the TV and we're watching our, our, our favorite sports team. And, and, and we would, we would uh, lose our religion yelling for that team. And, and right, I mean, we do the same thing. That's the point. It may not look like it did in the, in the time of the ancients, but we have idols today. We make idols of all kinds of things in this world. The cars that we drive, the houses we live in, how much money is in our bank account, our kids' ball teams. All, and listen, all of those things in and of themselves are gifts from God. The problem isn't that we have these things. The problem is when we look to those things and we think somehow that's where satisfaction, that's where it comes from. If, if only, you know, if only, uh, if, if our kids do well, then that's, that's where it's at. That's the ultimate in life. I'm here to tell you, it doesn't matter if they win the 12 and under world championship. Tomorrow they'll be 13 and it all goes away, Right. It doesn't matter how much money you have, how much is enough. No matter how new that car is and how shiny and great and all the bells and whistles, next year they're coming out with one that's better. The house that you live in, no matter how big it is or how wonderful it is and it meets your needs, eventually your hot water tank's going to go out. Eventually your carpet's going to wear out. Eventually the styles are going to, right? The point isn't that things of this world in and of themselves are bad. The point is that we make it bad by looking to those things and saying, complete me, give me satisfaction, give my life meaning and purpose, when they were never meant to. That's what idolatry ultimately is all about. We try to find fulfillment and satisfaction in things that can't give it. Because only God can satisfy us. And it's not until we truly understand that, that we can live a life of contentment and and peace when we understand that there is satisfaction, that there is peace in Jesus and nothing else in this world. And we look to Him in faith. And then all those other things become a part of His blessing and the benefits and and just the, the icing on the cake, so to speak, because we understand that when we have Jesus, we have everything. So we see the problem of sin. Sin leads us down this destructive path. Sin, we've all sinned. Sin, it's it's a distortion of of, of what is true, which really leads us to the second point, and that is what I'm I'm calling the perversion of sin. Now, think of what a perversion is. A perversion is a distortion. It's it's something that is twisted, something that is supposed to be one way, but but in, in reality is seen as something else. And a lot of times we think of that along the lines of sexual things, sexual sins. But it's not just that. A perversion really is a distortion of what is true. And that's exactly what these next verses point us to. Now, yes, there is the idea of sexual purity and sexual fidelity that's found here and even sexual identity that's contained in these verses. But the point that I want you to see before we delve into some of the specifics is that ultimately the idea here is that we would, we would exchange the truth for a lie. And that's what sin does. Sin tries to convince us that the truth is a lie. And it says so rather pointedly, right? It tells us in verse 25, they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator. 
And maybe the creature is someone else. Maybe the creature is ourselves. When we place all of our identity in our in, in, in who we are, maybe it's it's common today in today's world that that sexual identity drives this. And, and people make an idol of that. And that becomes the defining reality of their life. And there's this distortion, there's this perversion of the truth. And, and there's this chasing after wants and chasing after lusts and chasing after desires when ultimately all that we're doing is we're following that destructive path of sin that will lead us ultimately to destruction and ruin. Because we're looking to something to satisfy us that can't. And whether that's someone else, whether that's even internally, and we look to ourselves, when we try to elevate creation above the Creator, when we try to elevate something that's been created over the One who created all things, then we are on this path following after the the distortions, the perversion of sin. Sin says that your desires define you. Your sin would tell you, would convince you that your desires define you. So whatever it is that you desire, that's what makes you happy. That's who you are. That's where your identity is. That's the thing that you need to zero in on. That's the thing that you chase. And if, and, and, and if someone else tries to tell you that that's wrong, then don't listen because it makes you happy and it's where your desire is and it's where you'll find fulfillment. And I'm here to tell you it's a lie. It's a lie. Your desires do not define you. Your creator defines you. He's the one. We have worth not because of who we are and what we see in each other. We have worth because of the one who made us, because we were created in his image and we reflect his glory. But sin would convince us that the truth is a lie. Not only that, sin sin says that your desires define you. Sin says that the truth is a lie. Sin promises what it cannot deliver. It promises what it cannot deliver. In verse 26 and 27, um, it outlines rather pointedly the sin of homosexuality. And and then what's the, the final phrase in verse 27? I want you to see this. Receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. In other words, they, they believed a lie, they believed a distortion, they believed a perversion of the truth, and they thought that they would be satisfied. And ultimately, all they receive is the, the penalty. They receive the consequence of that sin, the due penalty. They got exactly what they chased. And it may have seemed like it was enough for a moment and a season, but it's never enough. Because it wasn't meant to be. Because your desires don't define you. Your creator defines you. He's the one that, that ultimately, uh, from, from whom we receive our worth. So it's the perversion of sin. But then finally, also, we see the pain of sin. The pain of sin. There are many who would focus, who would read Romans 1, and they would really key in on verses 26 and 27. And I think we need to understand verses 26 and 27 because clearly it points to sin and it calls sin a sin and it, and it says it for what it is plainly but 
in your reading of verse 26 and 27, don't neglect verses 28 through 30 as well, because there are 21 other sins that are listed here. And I promise you, you may think I'm not guilty of verses 26 and 27, but you're, you're guilty of something on this list of, 20, of, of, of uh, 21 sins, right? I guarantee everyone in this room has been disobedient to our parents at some point, right? There it is on the list in black and white. We would elevate one over the other. But the point is, all of it is sin, and all of it is worthy of the wrath of God. It's the pain of sin. Sin leads us down this path of brokenness. Sin leads us down this path where we exchange the truth for a lie. Sin leads us down this path that ultimately terminates in destruction and ruin. Let's just read through the list again. Because sad, I think the saddest words of all, even before we get into the, the, the list of sins in verse 28, God gave them up. God gave them up. I think that's the saddest words of this entire text that we've read today, is in realizing that God had something better for us, but we chose sin. And in his justice, God will condemn sin. He will punish sin. But also because of his love, God said, okay. He gave them up to their sin. It says, to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. And they're filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. We don't have time to explain all of these in, in detail. But as we read this, I want you to think, what have I done? Sort of like a checklist, because you've done some of these, right? Full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness, gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolishness, faithless, heartless, ruthless. The point is we've all sinned against God. And there's pain in that sin. The pain is the broken relationship, the fractured relationship with God because of our sin and our rebellion against Him. Verse 32 tells us that as much, right? Though they know God's righteous decree, those who practice such things deserve to die. They not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. This is people who celebrate their sin, who flaunt their sin, who relish in the fact that they, have, that they, they can do what they want. They're autonomous. They're their own person. They what Paul is saying is that ultimately it's just, it's brokenness. It's a destructive path full of problem and perversion and pain. And it leads us to that place where apart from a way off that path, we, we're headed for a destination of, of death and destruction. But praise God, there's a way off that path. Praise God, he's made a way for us to be forgiven Praise God, he suffered willingly for us. He lived a sinless, perfect life. He did not deserve, Jesus did not deserve to die, but he gave his life as payment for sin in order that you and I might be forgiven and set free, that we might be transformed through faith in Christ and receive the power of the gospel at work in us, making us new through faith in Jesus. God has made a way for us to be forgiven and set free. The question is, will we continue down the path of destruction and sin or will we, or will we get off that path and take the narrow way, the narrow path 
by trusting in Jesus, by surrendering our lives to him. In a moment, we're going to move into a, a time of response. And in our time of response, this moment of invitation today, if you're here and you realize that your life is that you're on that destructive path of sin because there's never been a moment when you have trusted in Jesus for the forgiveness of sin, when you have confessed him as Lord and Savior, then today, would you make today the day that you surrender your life to him, that you get off of that destructive path of sin by trusting in Jesus, confessing him as your Lord and Savior, and that you begin to walk that, that narrow way that Jesus describes in the Gospels through faith in him. And maybe, I suppose, for many in this room, you've, you've trusted in Jesus by faith. You've surrendered your life to him. You know that there is forgiveness of sin. And praise God, you have received that forgiveness through faith. But the temptation for us is that we keep going back to the old way. The temptation for us is that now that we've been given a new life in Christ and a new path to walk, it's like we want to turn back we want, to, we want to keep going back to the old thing so that in the Old Testament it describes that as like a dog returns to its vomit. That's kind of gross and picturesque, but that's the, that's the way the Bible... It's, it's like we keep going back to the, the, the thing that we've been set free from. Why would we continue to turn back to sin when we've been forgiven and set free in Jesus? Today, may we confess our sins And find him to be faithful and just to forgive us our sins. Cleanse us of unrighteousness as we turn to Jesus in faith. And so today, if you're ready to surrender your life to Jesus, then as we sing this song and confess this truth about the Father's deep love for us, then I pray you would come forward and that you would would allow Brad or I to pray with you a prayer of surrender as you surrender your life to Christ. And if you've surrendered your life to Christ, and you recognize today that there's still that struggle and that temptation, then would you all the more today say, Lord, today I want to follow you. In this moment, Lord, I want to surrender all I am to you. Would you repent of your sin, repent of your waywardness, turn back to the Lord who has saved you, trust in him, and keep walking the path of righteousness through faith in Jesus rather than the destructive path of sin you were once on. And so I want to ask you, if you would, to bow your head and close your eyes with me this morning. I'm going to lead us in a word of prayer. And then after I pray, as we stand to sing this song of response,